politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew once again for our life, our liberty, and our property here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for a brand new week, July 11th. And it's almost as if the last two and a half years never happened. Isn't it bizarre how we're sitting in this nuclear winter of so many people dying from the shots, a bizarre virus that doesn't freaking end and goes on and on and on two and a half years later. You can get it multiple times. The strains keep uh, changing. The more you inject, the more you infect. Disrupting people's lives, the virus, the response to it. We have soldiers getting thrown out by the thousands. And you look at the Republicans and their media organs and so-called conservative media And this doesn't exist. But then again, I can't blame them because for most of these people, even when we were fully locked down, it wasn't the big story. They didn't fight with all their might. So here we are kind of reflecting, where are we in terms of the effort to ensure this never happens again? And we're going to have Dr. Peter McCullough on to discuss his book that just uh, was just published his memoir on fighting COVID fascism, really probably the best cardiologist of the generation, gave up everything to fight for what's right. And I thought we'd be having a conversation of, hey, how do we inoculate ourselves from this ever happening again, which we haven't done. But we're not even at that point. I I, I was looking over the weekend at the Maryland candidates, you know, for Senate, for Congress. So we have our primaries coming up soon here. And and typically the Democrat wins anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But people want to know, hey, Daniel, who do we vote for in the primary? Now, for once, we actually have a great guy running for governor, Dan Cox. It's going to be very hard to win the general, but he is awesome. And he was one of the first guys uh, filing lawsuits against COVID fascism, against lockdown Larry. So for once, we actually have someone we could support and be proud of him. But then you get to Senate and Congress, which again, it's it's almost impossible to defeat the Democrat no matter what. And I'm looking at these candidates. I never heard of any of them. <clears throat> you go to their website, and it is, may as well be 1974. Like, this stuff doesn't exist. It's, it's just bizarre. And I sense this is what's going on throughout the country. Nothing matters. It's as if this never happened. And it would be bad enough if we had our head above water and we just want to make sure we don't drown again. But we're still underwater. This is from uh, Crossroads Report, Margaret Minge, her substack. You should subscribe uh, to it. Great stuff. A longtime officer in the Indiana National Guard says the Guard is about to kick out up to a thousand guardsmen in Indiana who have refused to get the COVID-19 vaccine, and says the resulting loss of troops will decimate the force. I was told by people who would know that there's about 1,000 refusals and also notes that there's a couple hundred more that are filing religious exemptions. The Army Guard in Indiana is about 10,000 soldiers. If you're talking about 1,000 people, that's 10% of the force. If we lost 10% of our soldiers overnight, we would be seriously hobbled 
in our effectiveness, especially since it's not just one unit, it's going to be across all units. And I was thinking, where are the governors? If every Republican governor would get together right now and say they are under our control under Title 32, nobody is to be disciplined for not getting the shots. And in fact, anyone who does discipline that individual is out and will be punished. Think about it. It's a winning issue. Nobody wants this. It's an outdated shot. We're seeing the evidence from the baby and toddler shots that barely anyone wants to get it. Biden in these red states has a 15, 20% approval rating. He has the lowest approval rating ever, so much so that if you've noticed, you're seeing suddenly all these reports about Hunter Biden. It's now okay to talk about it on social media. New York Times is coming out with pieces on it because they're, they're gradually getting people prepared to get rid of Joe Biden, which we knew would happen from day one. So this is the easiest thing to fight. You will never get a more unpopular opponent, an easier opponent to combat, an issue that is easier to deal with, a policy that is more unjust to combat. They could all get together and do this. Instead, Bill Lee wrote a letter to Lloyd Austin saying, hey, could you please accept religious exemptions? And June, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin sent a letter to Austin asking him, to postpone it, but stop begging. This is your guard. Biden would have to title tenant. And the notion that he would have clout to do that would be insane. And even if he does, don't listen to him, but at least draw the first blood. So this is truly disgusting that this is still happening and no Republic will, no Republican will talk about it. So it's funny how all these Republicans are like, I love the vaccine but I'm against mandates. But the reality is, when you take the half-baked position that agrees to the premise that the shots are good, in reality, you're never going to fight against the mandates. And we find that on every issue. Republicans agree to the premise, but say, oh, I wouldn't go this far. I wouldn't force it upon people. Now, intellectually, you could have that cognitive dissonance where, yeah, on the one hand, I'm okay with the shots and maybe even personally in favor of them, but I don't believe in forcing them. Intellectually, you could hold that line. But in reality, practically, if you're holding that position a year and a half into knowing that these shots are kill shots and it's an immoral position to take, so the notion that you're going to fight fully against the mandates is absurd. And as we mentioned with Chip Roy on Friday's show, we have an NDAA, we have budget bills coming up. They're not going to fight for it one iota. And then, and then you have more stuff going on. Where, where is this? This is from Dr. James Thorpe. Uh, the Epic Times reported that I was the first one to have him on. He's an OBGYN, um, maternal fetal medicine expert. He deals with high-risk pregnancies. And he noted that he's seeing... <clears throat> Just a massive increase in miscarriages, fetal chromosomal abnormalities, fetal cystic hygroma, fetal malformations, fetal cardiac arrest, fetal cardiac arrhythmias, fetal cardiac disorders, fetal vascular vascular uh, malperfusion abnormalities, abnormal fetal surveillance testing, abnormal fetal growth patterns, placental thrombosis. Yeah, I'm sure that's by accident. 
So if you look at theirs, abnormal uterine bleeding is 1,000-fold greater than, than what's reported from the flu shot. Miscarriage is 50-fold greater. Fetal chromosomal abnormalities, 100-fold greater. Fetal malformation, 50-fold greater. Fetal cystic hygroma, 90-fold greater. Fetal cardiac disorders, 40-fold greater. Fetal arrhythmia, 50-fold. Fetal cardiac arrest, 200-fold. Fetal vascular malperfusion, 100-fold. Fetal growth abnormalities, 40-fold. Fetal placental thrombosis, 70-fold greater. So there you have it. Real nice. Real nice. And yet Republicans still won't deal with this. And again, folks, given that Republicans won't deal with it, okay, given that they won't deal with it, if you put yourself in the shoes of the masters of the universe, why should they change course? Why? They're being so successful. They're not being confronted with any legitimate opposition. Why would they change course? You know, someone was passing around. This was from earlier this year. There was an article that um, that the federal government bought hundreds of thousands of N95 masks. Okay? An endless number of N95s. Now, what do you think that's for? Okay? What do you think that is for? Well, come the winter, the mask will be back. So it's not even like, oh, we're up to the shots, but we're done with the mask. We're not even done with that. By the way, there's still people that are being forced to wear them when they have to go to, uh, um, you know, just the doctor or things like that. So there you go. And then you have what it's doing to to us. 82% of German patients in the ICUs are fully vaxxed. And then there's a study out on the effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccines showed that immune function, immune function among vaccinated individuals eight months after the administration of two doses of COVID-19 vaccine was lower than that among unvaccinated individuals. This is a serious, like, to, to, to you and me, this has become a joke. Like, yeah, like we know that already. How many times could we say it? This is from the Department of Cardiovascular Surgery in Okamura Memorial Hospital in Japan. <laughs> and they note that if you look 80, eight months later, it's actually worse. As a safety measure, future booster vaccinations should be discontinued. And that's, see, this is really the thing. Roughly, we're, we're finding roughly 1% to 2% of people got significant injuries from this. Now, long-term significant injuries, we still don't know yet. That in itself is a holocaust, right? Because... You take, I forget how many billions of people in the world got the shots, but you take 1% to 2%, that's a holocaust. But even the other 98.5% or so, you're going to have the silent killer, which is the immune suppression. 
And that's how you have all these, you know, it's a double whammy because the vaccine itself in the macro creates viral immune escape and dominant strains of the thing that keeps evading immunity, maybe even natural immunity. And you keep getting the virus and it keeps getting more virulent. And then in the micro sense, the more you inject, the more it suppresses your immunity and you face that new super infection with a weaker immune system. You could not have possibly created a science fiction movie that depicted more of an evil, nefarious plot than what our government and Big Pharma has done to us. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other issues to get to this week. I want to talk a little bit about the Ukraine boondoggle going on, other political matters. We have more elections coming up. We're going to start off just taking stock of where we are where we are today on COVID fascism and what better person to do it with than Dr. Peter McCullough. Now, everyone likes to talk about in retrospect, boy, if I would have been there in 1776, let me tell you, I would have been with the Patriots. Oh, if I would have been in Germany in the 1930s, oh, you better believe I would have defied uh, the immoral, illogical, illogical and humane acts of the Third Reich. Well, here we are in the Fourth Reich, and I think we have our answer, that there are very few people who would have defied the system. The only reason why this could continue is because a bunch of people with expertise, whether they are medical doctors with their expertise in treatment, whether they're vaccinologists who did know and should have known the concept of viral immune escape and original antigenic sin and ADE, Right, This is ABCs for those people. Whether it's industrial hygienists who should have understood that masks don't work. In every profession, there are people that saw things and didn't say anything. Remember that uh, slogan after 9-11, see something, say something. Yet Dr. McCullough was one of the few who had a lot to lose, very little to gain, really the most published cardiologist of our generation, could have easily continued... um, doing what he was doing, kept quiet, maybe even treated patients quietly, but not said anything, not to get himself in trouble. Yet he threw it all away, all away in order to speak the truth and and really become this force multiplier for people like myself and many others to get the confidence to go after. Because remember, you know, I started with this with the vaccine maybe March, April, I'd say late March we started with it. I knew there was something wrong, but I just didn't have the confidence to engage on it. It was too technical. Um, I was scared. You know, the only ones who were talking, uh, speaking out against it were more of the legacy anti-vaxxers. So I figured, oh man, you know, I'm not going to get any clout on this. He was the one that really gave so mu- so many of us the confidence. And that's why today I want to talk a little bit about his book as well as what else he's thinking. Uh, it's available anywhere you get books, co-authored with John Leake, The Courage to Face COVID-19. Um, make sure you pick this up. This is really a worthy read. I'm about halfway into it. Uh, also, make sure to subscribe to The McCullough Report. It's a weekly podcast. You could subscribe on iTunes. Dr. McCullough, it's been way too long. Thanks for joining us today at Blaze Media. Well, thanks for having the show. Last time I saw you were up on the big screen when I visited Blaze Media uh, film center there in Dallas. You were up on the screen. I, I made a little video of you, said you were my friend, and I put it on Instagram. I got a ton of likes. Well, you know what? 
I, uh, I look better on radio, but now you can't put it anywhere because you're going to get banned. Uh, I don't know how you're still on Twitter. You're one of the few remainer, remaining um, truth-tellers there. Uh, but, but talk to us a little bit about why you wrote the book and where the book fits in, not just in terms of the setting of when it took place, which was the last two years, but right now in July 2022. The book, Courage to Face COVID-19, <clears throat> we commissioned work on it about a year ago. It takes a year to write a highly referenced book. And what we did is we took a complex reality. We're in a very complex reality right now with COVID-19, the viral pandemic, the emergency measures, everything that's going on is very, very complex. And we're people have busy lives. And we took this complex reality and we wrote it in a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end, a story. It's the only COVID book out there that's a story. I'm reading all of them right now, and others are very factual explanations of what's going on, interpretations heavily cited. But ours is a story. Ours is a story about the discovery of early treatment, how I was working, Dr. Zelenko, Dr. Rial, how we got swept up in, in you know by the executive branch, the media. How did I get called by Peter Navarro in the White House? How did how do you know, end up as the lead witness in the U.S. Senate. How did I set all records on Joe Rogan experience? How did all that happen in the course of a couple of years? And tragically, how did patients have treatment that could have saved their lives or kept them out of the hospital? How did they have treatment blocked from them? How did that happen? And why did it happen? And it's all in the book. It's a fast read, 309 pages, 45 chapters. Some of the chapters, really fun, and the names on them, John Leake is really creative. One is Cuomosexuals. Cuomosexuals. Um, are those the doctors that have a fetish for uh, their patients dying? <laughs> no, it's actually it's about Andrew Cuomo and his brother Chris, the hyper-pumped-up um, CNN anchor, how they fell from grace the disastrous policy about Cuomo and returning uh, sick COVID nursing home patients back to New York uh, nursing homes and spreading the virus and creating just absolute tragedy in New York and how basically the cover-up for this ultimately became uh, allegations over sexual harassment, and that's how he's ushered out of office. So he's not ushered out of office out of disgrace on a COVID pandemic disaster, but on something more plebeian like a sexual harassment charge. Uh, you know, recently, this just happened in the last couple of days, uh, Boris Johnson at the UK abruptly resigns as the data come out that over 90% of people dying of COVID-19 in the UK fully vaxxed, tripled or quadrupled. So it looks like there is some progress, you know, obviously in other countries, but in America, it almost seems like we're impervious to facts, that the more we come out with problems, it almost seems like there's nothing we could produce that will get these things pulled because typically they get pulled after a few dozen deaths. But once we blew past that and we've acculturated people to this new normal, it almost seems like there's nothing we could come out about the shots that will get them pulled. Do you sense that we're close to that critical mass or is this just going to keep going on? You know, I think the the example of we're almost you know, past the point of anything is childhood approval. Uh, childhood approval. Other countries haven't done that. Uh, 
in fact, the health minister for Denmark just came out, Nordstrom, said what a mistake it was to vaccinate young people. So we're starting to see these retractions. The, uh, the um, uh, Austrian health minister saying, listen, I don't support these vaccines, and it's really the doctors that are pushing it. So you're starting to see this happen worldwide. Uh, recently, June 11th, 2022, World Council for Health, which represents 70 uh, NGOs out there, they have an official pharmacovigilance report based on VAERS, uh, the Udra Vigilance, Yellow Card, and WHO Vigi, uh, Vigi Safe Systems, uh, 40,000 deaths after vaccination within a few days, millions of injuries. Pull them off the market. They just say, listen, pull them off the market. So the week that came out, the same time the US FDA is approving them for children, you couldn't get a more. In fact, Dr. Katerina Lindley, who was one of the testifiers at the FDA, read the World Council for Health recommendations into the FDA record. So the FDA was listening to the fact that a major worldwide body is recommending global recall of the vaccines. At the same time, the advisory panel and the FDA and ultimately the CDC were saying give them to children. So what we're seeing is what's called willful blindness. The FDA and CDC are willfully blind to large numbers of people dying due to the vaccine. So I, I want to talk a little bit about where we are with the injury, the scope of injury, what what we think this thing does. I'll never forget you and I had a private conversation probably at the beginning of this, you know, when we saw the vaccine was problematic. And, and you were thinking, yeah, it's maybe like the flu shot. It just really doesn't work. We'll probably cycle out of you, do nothing. It doesn't work. Um, but now, I mean, over a year later, this thing is truly a, a, a medical miracle. I mean, I I cannot just I cannot fathom how you could create a product that does this many things to you. I was recently interviewing Stephanie DeGarry, the mother of the 12 year old who was injured in the uh, F- Pfizer trial, and she got chronic inflammatory demyelinating uh, polyneuropathy, terrible, terrible form of paralysis. And I looked up in the Pfizer famous Pfizer document with nine. Um, pages worth of ailments that they knew about no later than February 2021, and it was right there. That I mean, it's uh, CIDP is so rare. So this thing seems to cause everything. Where we stand right now, what are you most concerned about in terms of the tip of the iceberg? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, although I wouldn't use the term medical miracle. I'd say basically biological catastrophe <laughs> is, what, is what's going on. Um, we know now through the court ordered documents, Pfizer released 1,223 deaths within 90 days of people taking Pfizer, 1,291 new diseases, including the one you mentioned. And the FDA, lawyer for the FDA wanted to block that for 55 years. So the FDA is involved with a cover up with Pfizer, covering up a major safety debacle. It's almost the, certainly the same thing with Moderna as well as Johnson, Johnson, AstraZeneca, elsewhere. Even in the briefing booklet for Novavax, which is an antigen-based vaccine, which many of us have had hope that could be safer, they are reporting cases of heart damage with Novavax. There are over 1,000 deaths with Novavax reported in the worldwide safety databases. So none of the vaccines, uh, vaccines seem to be clean. These are alarming numbers. Remember, less than 50 deaths, a handful of deaths, pull them off the market. We have data, and we know 
that the vaccines are the genetic code for the engineered spike protein that was devised in a lab, a biosecurity lab in Wuhan, China. You think about this, repeated injections of the genetic code for a lethal Chinese protein. That's what's going on. People have to visualize this. How can this work out okay in the human body? Well, it's not. You know, when you look at theirs, almost everything in there are reports of injuries that were pretty shortly after the injection. And even then, many of them aren't reported. But certainly you go out a couple month, you know, three month window, six month window, none of it ever gets traced back. But yet we're seeing as time goes on, this acceleration of sudden adult uh, death syndrome. We're hearing a lot of reports of EMSs saying they, they find young people just dead in their beds. And, you know, people that did this for 20, 30 years, they just never saw this. Um, so, so your specialty is the heart, obviously. Are you concerned that as much as we see with the myocarditis, so you see what, like 42, 43,000 reports on theirs, that that was the tip of the iceberg and that there's this ticking time bomb of some sort of subclinical latent inflammation that could jump out at any time? That's a good question. I think most of the safety events when they happen, happen within 30 days of taking the vaccine. And that's a regulatory standard, by the way. <clears throat> if something happens within 30 days of taking a new medicine or product, it's due to the product, period. There's no question. There's no debate on this. The companies have to own it. They always do. It's just, it's just part of regulatory science. So anything within 30 days, the vast majority of deaths, papers by McLaughlin and Rose show occur within 30 days. Myocarditis, multiple 200 papers show the vast majority of myocarditis occurs within uh, within 30 days. But it has to be clinically recognized. That is chest pain, constitutional symptoms of heart failure. And then it's recognized, diagnosed by cardiac MRI, which is 99% positive when they have myocarditis. What we don't know is subclinical myocarditis. Well, someone just had a general fever, but no chest pain. Uh, they never had an MRI. They thought things were fine. And then three months later, they die. Well, uh, Gill and colleagues has published from Connecticut, two boys who died after Pfizer. That was early on days three and four. But they had no premonitory symptoms. They simply were found dead at home and, and by their parents. And autopsies confirmed that, indeed, they died of myocarditis. This was backed up by reviews, independent reviews by University of Michigan and University of Minnesota, now reported by Verma and Choi as well, that we have clearly myocarditis is fatal. So the consent form should have immediately updated and said, warning, warning, this heart damage is nothing to fool with. It could be fatal. We know that blood clot syndromes are fatal. Now there's hundreds and hundreds of blood clot syndromes occurring with all the vaccines. By the way, myocarditis occurs with all the vaccines, so do the blood clots, because a common element is the spike protein. Consent forms not being updated. No public warnings about this. Uh, this should tell people that something is off the rails, that people don't care. You know, employers are still mandating vaccines. Don't they care their employees could die with the vaccines? Don't they care? It's it's the type of thing. The military is still mandating vaccination. Don't they care our troops could die? They're putting our troops in harm's way. This idea of not caring, uh, not you know at least reviewing the literature and what's happening, uh, not reconciling this reality, this phenomenon of what we call willful blindness, I think ought to, ought to make everybody very alarmed. You know, on another note, another 
thing long term that I think really scares a lot of people. That Swedish study that came out a little while made a splash at the time, but now no one really talks about it. That the Pfizer vaccine does potentially reverse transcribe DNA into your cells. What would be the consequences of that? Well, that's a really good question. Marcus Alden, a, a, a junior person, and then his senior was is Yang D. Marinus, lab in Malmo, Sweden, showed in a human hepatoma cell line that Pfizer does reverse transcribe through an endogenous reverse transcriptase called line one. That is, it installs into human DNA. Now, they showed a middle segment, what's called an amplicon, 444 base pair, a reliable reporter region that, uh, you know, with, with, no, nobody's questioned that paper, by the way. There's no doubt that segment gets installed into human uh, chromatin. The only question is, does the entire gene install now, a, a recent paper by uh, Domazet Lozo has, I think, pretty clearly uh, implied, based on all the review, that the entire genetic code installs into human chromatin. But importantly, where does this go on? And Domazet Lozo has concluded, based on 15 references, where this is happening is in the testicles and ovary. It's actually permanently incorporating into gametocytes, meaning in young people, now, when they conceive, they are going to pass down the genes for Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, or AstraZeneca. They're going to pass down the genes coding for the spike protein, that specific code, into the progeny. So you're saying even if we didn't vaccinate babies and toddlers, uh, you know, and, and so far, thankfully, most people are eschewing the pressure and they're, and they're not getting jabbed. But you're saying that you might not have a control group left anyway, because the at least the kids born after the fact, they could suffer some of those ailments. I mean, does that mean they could be born with blood clots? Well, it means that the gene is going to be there. <clears throat> and if it's expressed low level, there's a million questions. So, for instance, uh, is any expression of spike protein, is it fatal for the cell? So if you, the cell expresses spike protein, the body's immune system attacks it, you know, that cell can't go too far because it's wiped out. So there's a Dr. Polycretus I interviewed on the McCullough Report from Greece. He believes that every cell that expresses spike protein is destroyed. So his view is it doesn't matter if it reverse transcribes or not, the body's going to wipe it out. But what if the body finds a way to adapt to the spike protein and allows it to be there, just causing disease? causing blood clots, promoting cancer, causing a brain and nervous system disease. That idea is possible. Bruce Patterson uh, at Incel DX, uh, uh, Banzel, uh, others have shown that, in fact, the spike protein does get incorporated into exosomes, and it does stay in the body a long time. It can stay within cells a long time, uh, over a year. Well, if that's the case, then this incorporation of the genetic code for, let's say, for Pfizer and having babies be born with the gene for Pfizer in them, and then they uh, have protein and they carry it with them through the course of their life, yes, they could be prone to blood clots, neurodegenerative disease, seizures, uh, blood disorders, uh, immune system, immune compromise. I mean, this is a disaster. The CDC website still says, oh, don't worry, this can't change your DNA. But in fact, the data suggests it does change the DNA. And now we have the most worrisome thing. 82% of people have taken one of these shots. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, most people I know have taken it, especially over a certain age, but even childbearing age. And I'm sure you've seen the data that's been put out. It started with Germany, but now there's a whole group of people looking uh, quarter by quarter, particularly the first quarter of 2022, the birth rates, just straight up birth rates in a bunch of countries. And most of them seem to be very low beyond the standard deviation, well beyond the standard deviation. What do you think of those signals? I, I, their ecological analysis is so hard to interpret because there were lockdowns, anxiety, all different types of things present. I think it's too early mm-hmm. to interpret uh, fecundity <laughs> right now in the population, but I think the most immediate disturbing thing is all-cause mortality. And every life insurance company out there reporting is reporting excess mortality of young working-age people, and it's not related to COVID. They know who's died of COVID. A small sliver has died to COVID. There's a large number of people dying for unclear reasons among working-age individuals. Yeah, and already last year, I mean, mainstream media was reporting that there's people in the hospital not for COVID. Blood clotting is always something that uh, gets written in there, and that's just not normal. There's an awful lot of blood clotting going on, pulmonary emboli, things like that. I want to go back to the medical system because this is really what I need your take on. Um, What scares me headed forward is what I've learned from this the most is that we now have a medical system that will block life-saving treatment from you and will foist upon you dangerous therapeutics. That is something you can't recover from. I mean, as I've been saying, that is the ultimate pro-life issue. Um, you can't you can't move beyond that life, liberty, property. You can't have a healthcare system that that does that. When 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 you wrote this book, and you know I've read some of your chapters on it. When you first got into this uh, early treatment, which was pretty much at the beginning, what were you seeing with other doctors? Um, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I always thought that hey, you see some inflammation, thrombosis, you understand okay coughs lung congestion, you would try to treat it. What happened with people? Was it that they were scared of the virus, scared of getting attacked by medical boards, or they were just plain dumb? I think they were scared. I think initially doctors were scared. They shut down their clinics. They were afraid of the virus. Uh, the last thing they'd want to do is face the virus or, or face a patient who could potentially have the virus. So very few doctors kept their office open, and even fewer numbers actually saw patients with COVID. And some of the initial people were in our book. We've had Lozano, Didier Rialt in France, Vladimir Zelenko. They were physically seeing patients with COVID. And I think it was mainly just kind of the courage to do it. And they faced the illness, and they figured out how to treat it. I think most doctors, it was fear. But once they became comfortable with the idea that, listen, I don't need to treat it. The government's not telling me to treat it. There are no treatments. In fact, every treatment that comes up, it looks like it doesn't work anyway. Aha, I'm even more comfortable in my office telemedicine practice where I don't need to treat COVID that I'm good. And so people then became, became willfully blind. They, they were blind to any early treatments. Early treatments are being blocked out of major journals. Even some of the best therapy, the highest quality clinical trial in COVID, the cold corona trial with colchicine, that was at New England Journal of Medicine for several months and turned down, then JAMA for several months and turned down, then Atlantic several months, finally got into a lower level Atlantic Journal. It was intentionally blocked for eight months, a, a, a very important breakthrough. 
was blocked for eight months. I mean, there was examples of this over and over again. Even simple nasal and mouthwashes were getting uh, attacked by the FDA, by the FTC. I mean, there was active efforts to try to suppress anything that was going to help people with COVID-19. Oh, yeah. All, all the ENTs now, they're like, oh, the betadine causes uh, thyroid problems. They all have excuses now. There's not a single thing that hasn't been attacked. Aspirin has obviously been attacked um, all over. There, I've not seen a single one. And, you know, what, what scares me, what I find so tragic is that behind every story of someone who died or maybe the rare one who came off of ECMO or a ventilator, um, every one of them there was a period of time where they faced the crossroads, whether it's day six to day 10, depending on the variant, where their blood oxygen levels started dropping. And they started getting that funny form of pneumonia where it mattered so much to come in with a topical steroid, systemic steroid, you know, the several other drugs you mentioned as well to really hit it hard before it became this just crazy bioweapon beast. And yet... They were all alone. I, I had this with my dad that I, I recently got him treatment. And I felt I was lucky because I had great doctors on speed dial I could call. How important is it just to have someone who knows the situation, who could hold your hand through it? Hey, you know, clinically, I see what's happening to you. Do this. You'll be all right. Rather than looking at your pulse ox, wondering if there's anything stopping it from going down, down, down with, with, with no help. You know, there was a paper published in June of last year from the VA by Finley and colleagues showing 45% of admissions never had an oxygen saturation below 94%. You know, roughly half of the admissions were panic admissions. Patients were told there's no treatment. No one's going to provide treatment. Grandma stayed at home in her apartment. She's calling her daughter every day. And people got to a panic level and they had a panic hospitalization. This, I've always thought that even if we just had a nurse call team and we just called people every day and coached them through simple things like virucidal nasal washes, over-the-counter nutraceuticals and supplements, easy to prescribe drugs, we could have had a nurse call team and we could have spared tens of millions of hospitalizations and millions of lives worldwide. Just simple support would have gotten people through. Instead, uh, they basically, uh, patients called, asked for help. And the doctors hung up. So obviously, one would expect in a sane world, someone like you <clears throat> to have been called into the governor's office and recognized for your work. And um, everyone would be like, hey, you know, what, what are you doing right? What, what could we copy? But in fact, the opposite is happening. Where do you stand right now in terms of your profession and what you have to deal with in terms of either legal matters or quasi-legal matters? and people going after your license? You know, it's been mixed. I think many know I was a lead uh, witness in the historic November 19th, 2020 Texas Senate. Uh, I'm sorry, U.S. Senate hearings, then in March 2020 Texas Senate, uh, back to the U.S. Senate, January of 2021, back to the Texas Senate, June of 2022. And I've been in the Pennsylvania uh, South Carolina, I'm visiting um, somebody in the governor's office in Virginia tomorrow. It's been mixed. Uh, I'm a frequent contributor on Fox, Newsmax, OEN. I've been on ABC. People have asked me for my opinions, but 
what we didn't have is we just didn't have a White House task force called of doctors who knew how to treat the illness. So, you know, a criteria of a doctor to advise anybody in Washington is they should know how to treat the problem. And so by not having that, that was a critical blunder. Do you know the current White House uh, Corona Task uh, Coordinator? Under sworn testimony in November of 2020, he said he's never treated a COVID patient. <laughs> he's never treated a COVID patient. So if our country is prioritizing people with no experience, no knowledge of the medical problem, we're in deep trouble. So it's been scattered. You're right. We should have taken all the doctors who established the early and then now the, the, the current community standard of care. I recently testified Texas Senate June 27th, 2022 uh, about community standard of care. I said, there has always been a duty to treat, always. And if a doctor doesn't treat, a duty to refer, period, period, for every condition. It's not okay to say, no, I'm not going to treat you, and no, I'm not going to refer you. It's not okay. And that the community standard of care can be established by as few as one doctor who's taken on the challenge to treat a problem. And that's true for rare cancers and other things. Mm -hmm. So a single doctor, all we needed was one doctor in the country to treat COVID, and that became the community standard of care. And then it went from there. But it was never okay to say, no, we're not going to treat the illness. And so what we know there is doctors were very effective. I testified in our oath now with the full McCullough protocol, 95% of hospitalizations and deaths can be avoided. I haven't had anybody near the hospital in six months now because Omicron is so mild that uh, it's a tragedy. I reviewed all the reports of people hospitalized and dying with COVID. It's all because they didn't get early treatment. So how do we recover from the collapse of the medical system. I mean, this is now a new paradigm. Like you said, they feel comfortable just doing telemedicine, not treating, um, not not putting a stethoscope on someone's lungs, not ordering a chest X-ray, things like that. But what we're seeing is most people are followers. Okay, they work for systems. They don't want to lose their jobs. Uh, looking at what happened to you and your colleagues, it's not very logical to do what you did because it's just personally, it's not worth it. How do you get around from this deterrent from doing what's right? You have the medical boards, and even if you're in a state where the medical board won't go after you, you have the, I mean, the licensing board, you'll have the private medical boards that will go after you. De describe what you're facing and to the extent you could talk about it um, with the, the specialty boards going after you and how that affects your ability to practice. Well, I just used the term duty to treat. This is really important. Duty to treat, duty to treat supersedes employment. It doesn't matter who employs the doctor. The doctor has a duty to treat. This is very important. Doctors have accepted the Hippocratic Oath. That says that they will try to do the best they can for every patient. It doesn't say, Hippocratic Oath doesn't say, I'll try to help you, but if my health system says, no, then I'm not going to do it. Hippocratic Oath doesn't say that. So every doctor who denied patients treatment actually violated their oath. They violated their oath as a doctor. This is very, very important. I think they're going to have a hard time crawling back from that violation of the Hippocratic Oath. Every patient who was hospitalized and died had doctors and care providers who violated the Hippocratic Oath. And whether it was explicit, whether it was implicit, whether it was by largely just by omission, by not picking up the phone, they violated their Hippocratic Oath. 
so what we have is uh, there is no justification for a doctor not treating patients. And those doctors uh, needed to really show backbone to their organizations and said, sorry, we're going to treat this illness and we can't be uh, subject to pressure or coercion or reprisal. And what happened is we had very few doctors who had the courage to face COVID-19. That's the reason why our book is so important. I did. I said, I'm going to treat this. I got large research grants. I had investigational drug applications. I, I devised ways to treat it. I, I demonstrated that I could do it. I published those papers. Uh, I worked in collaborative groups. I did everything I possibly could. And as a reward for that, in January of 2021, before there was any mention of the vaccine safety issues, I was ushered into an office by two administrators, and they said, turn in your badge. I said, why? They said, no reason. So what do you mean no reason? There has to be a reason. There has to be a two-thirds board vote. There has to be performance evaluations. I had a sterling record. No reason. This was like an executioner squad. And I literally had to negotiate a settlement agreement. Then six months later, I'm settled. I'm being sued over, quote, bringing my institution into the media, of which you can tell I haven't done on this interview, and I've never done on any interview. And so, you know, these types of things that happened to me, I think became examples for other doctors. I said, holy smokes, if they're going to attack Dr. McCullough. He's the most published person in his yep. field in the world in history. Uh, then, boy, I'm not going to speak out. And so it kept going and going and going. So here we are today, by certified letter, I've been stripped of uh, two editorships, of, uh, by two professorships, you know, no courtesy phone call, no faculty senate, no board meetings, nothing. Just this uh, nameless, faceless stripping. I was the president of a major medical society. The society was dissolved. How do you dissolve a society? They, they couldn't dethrone me. I was the president. I mean, how does this happen? Daniel, something is going on. Now the American Board of Internal Medicine on the same day sends out threat letters to multiple doctors who are treating COVID patients saying that um, uh, they may have said things that would lead someone to not take a vaccine. That's actually the allegation in my yes. threat letter. And it says that I am subject now to this uh, credentials meeting that could uh, result in professional um, reprisal to me. Now, I, I've had I'm in my fourth decade of continuous board certification in both internal medicine and cardiology. I do it voluntarily. I've got a sterling record. In fact, they rely on a lot of the new knowledge that I've generated in my career for their testing. I spend thousands of dollars in, in uh, testing every 10 years and, uh, and review materials and many thousands of hours. And with a sterling record, I get attacked. And so I, I came back with a 20-page response letter, you know, justifying every single word that came out of my mouth with the cited literature, as I did on this interview. I'm meticulous with respect to my citations. And, um, uh, and, and Senator Johnson uh, reached out to them and said, listen, why don't you come out and meet with Dr. McCullough and we'll go over the information. Nobody has agency or holds a license over information. The American board doesn't know more than I do about COVID. It just, it just isn't the, the way. I mean, doctors, we discuss things. It's discussable. Everything is discussable. Then uh, Richard Barron did not respond. He's the CEO of uh, ABIM, did not respond to Senator Johnson. Two days later, he doubled down. He said, we're joining with the AMA to hunt down this information. Then, as a coup de grace, he publishes in the New England Journal of Medicine, hunting down misinformation. And he states in there, if a doctor says that COVID vaccination does not reduce hospitalization and death. The doctor is giving misinformation. 
there's, there's not a single randomized trial that even had hospitalization death at a primary endpoint. So if a, if, a, if a hospitalization death is not a primary endpoint in a randomized trial, then any claim that the vaccines reduce hospitalization death can only be conjectural, can only be hypothesis generating. Even the emergency use authorization consent forms and the FAQ do not say the vaccines reduce hospitalization and death. So you can see that the American Board of Internal Medicine is in a very terrible position right now. And Richard Barron, their CEO, he's in deep trouble by making these false public statements. So where do we go from here? Um, We've created a great collection of patriot doctors that care about the Hippocratic Oath, that study the science, that care about patients. Uh, but it's a small minority. And and the problem is, like you mentioned, they, they literally have you checkmate from every end. You can never say anything about a vaccine. You can never even do something that could give people the impression that they don't need to take the vaccine. Um, they got you from the board certification. Many states, they get you from the licensing. Um, you have insurance won't cover. I've heard from a lot of people that the doctors wouldn't diagnose a vaccine injury because the insurance company won't play ball with it. You can't get malpractice insurance without board certification, even if you could practice without it, but practically you can't. Um, All over the place, they're tightening that noose. And I think all of this is hinting to one thing that we've known we needed to do for a long time. We need to do a major surgery and evacuate ourselves from a medical system that it, it it's more harmful than it is good, and it's perhaps even worse than third world countries. We have good biotech, we have good advances in surgery, but when you look at the care, the care of the system, it's horrible. And and now we understand why, because any doctor who wants to innovate and follow the science and not politics, he'll he'll lose his career. What is the long term play? What do you think we can do with this movement? that you've created with, with people like Dr. Cole and McCullough and, some, and, and, and uh, Malone and so many others, it, it, could we create a parallel medical system? You know, it'd be hard to imagine doing that over one disease. Remember, all the other diseases, it's still business as usual. Cancer, heart disease, what have you. It's only COVID, early treatment, and vaccines. That's it. That's the only part where medicine is just absolutely off the rails. So you'd think, you know, instead of re, you know, deconstructing the entire medical system, just fix COVID, uh, pull the vaccines off the market, uh, end all censorship and reprisal, end all mandates, and, and promulgate one of many different treatment algorithms, and let's finish the pandemic. That'd be the quickest, easiest thing. You could do that with about three or four pen strokes, and you're done. You literally are done. Nobody wants these vaccines anyway. They're, re- they're being returned by the millions to the manufacturer to be destroyed. I mean, this would be the simplest thing to do. But instead, we're thinking of very, something very hard. Like, let's recreate create an entirely new health system. Patients have lost their trust in their doctors, and rightfully so. And so patients don't want to go to a doctor. If, if you know, a patient with heart failure goes to a cardiologist and say, here, take a vaccine, the patient says, oh, I'm going to die the vaccines cause heart damage. My my heart is already weak. Uh, so we're really stuck right now. I, I'd hate to think that we have to form a whole new health system over one, you know, historical disease. Or is it one? Or is it only one? I mean, the, the concern is there's more coming down the pipeline. This is not the only gain-of-function research. And as you well know, I think Moderna has, what, 14 or 15 more mRNAs coming down the pipeline. And... My concern now is that 
COVID wasn't an anomaly, but a paradigm shift to use their uh, mm-hmm. statements, you know, mm-hmm. great reset, new normal. And is this going to be the new paradigm with vaccine creation? I mean, look, you tell me, Dr. McCullough, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but what I do know is that RSV is a pretty bad candidate historically for a vaccine, and they're coming out next year with an RSV corona flu triple combo. I mean, what do we do about that? I can't, believe, can't imagine that people would be carrying uh, and installing the genetic code for all these foreign proteins in the human genome. This is extraordinary that really I have to carry the gene for the Wuhan spike protein and for the respiratory syncytial virus and for influenza. I've got to carry those genes for me the rest of my life. I mean, something's really gone wrong. And you're right, there's, there's about 500 doctors from the very beginning that said, listen, we see things clearly, we need to treat this problem, we're skeptical of the vaccines. Now as a Texas A&M survey says about 10% of doctors don't think the vaccines are safe and effective, but only a tiny fraction have the courage to speak about it. Uh, that 10% will continue to grow. I think now uh, what's really needed is independent investigation in the media. We need a lot more Horowitz uh, firepower out there than we need anything else. You know, the the public opinion will turn the tide. Recent New York Times piece, 35% of Americans are not taking a vaccine or not taking a booster. That means 18% have not taken the vaccine. They're not going to. 17% are not going to take a booster. That makes 35. That's a third of the country. A third of the country's dug in on this. They're done. Now, there's another third of the country that says, listen, I took this. I'm feeling a little queasy. I'm not sure if this is the right thing or not. And, and they are likely to change their mind. Uh, and then you have a third that's completely in the mass formation, and they are just taking shot after shot after shot. They get sick with COVID. They take more shots. You just can't talk them out of it. They are just in. They are just on the uh, the COVID train. So, you know, conceivably, two thirds of the country is going to wake up and say, "Listen, this is a bad nightmare. We got to we got to get out of this." I, there's no better time to be an independent doctor. I mean, patients are paying cash. Uh, they're leaving their doctors in droves. Uh, there's no better time to turn down a vaccine. turns out it's the best decision you could ever make in your life. People who are turning down the vaccine and losing their jobs are getting better jobs because so many jobs are vacated by people who are dying of the vaccine. They're, 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 there's so many jobs available <laughs> right now. There's, there's no better time to turn down a vaccine, and there's no better time as a doctor to be someone who is not going to take the vaccine and is going to treat people with COVID and treat vaccine injuries. I personally didn't take the vaccine. Best decision I ever made. In other words, it's going to take an irate, relentless minority to, to fight back. And, and that's the thing. Who is going to have that courage? Uh, one final thing before I let you go, um, just where we stand epidemiologically. Uh, one, one of the things that I think is remarkable, I would have never believed, even with a vaccine failure, that we would be here mid-2022, and you have more cases than ever, off-season, you don't have Gompertz curves anymore, you know, straight up, straight down. It just meanders and goes and goes and goes. People get it multiple times. It's never going away. What in the world is up with that? A couple important papers. One that just came out by Kima Telly and colleagues on my Twitter feed, P underscore McCullough MD. Kima Telly showed that natural immunity, wild type through Delta, has a 97% protection against serious Omicron hospitalization and death. So natural immunity, 
really important. Now, you can get Omicron on top of natural immunity. That happens all the time. But it's a mild. It's less than a common cold. So people are going to get through these common colds. Uh, they're going to lose their enthusiasm for testing. You know, they just dumped a ton of home tests on people all over the country people are throwing these things out because all we do is test and create more problems for each other. Uh, it's like a common cold. Uh, we know that the R naught or the, the spreadability of the factor has gone from, I think original Wuhan was about one to three. One person could, could transmit it to three susceptible people. Now the R naught for the BA5 Omicron is 18 one to 18. But how come it doesn't work that way? Because you're not going to get in a room with 18 people who haven't had COVID. Mm. Do you see what I mean? So most people have actually had COVID, or at least you go into any uh, public gathering. I always ask for a show of hands. It's usually 70, 90 percent have had it. So there's not that many susceptible people left. So we're not going to have these violent outbreak curves anymore. We just have these kind of gentle waves. We're in through a BA4, BA5 wave. Uh, there's always some around. Uh, if people don't do testing, then it, it literally just kind of fades away into the common cold fabric of the, the country. I haven't had somebody near hospitalization in a month now. I just checked with our major COVID coordinator at our hospital, uh, at our system for uh, advanced support. Uh, he said, well, we have one person on advanced support, but he's there for trauma reasons and he just happens to be testing positive. So you, you actually don't have a problem of adjudicated COVID in hospitals right now. Wow, we'll see what happens with this, because I just sure hope that Dr. Gert Vandenbosch is not right about this, that the more you inject, the more you infect, and that it suppresses the immune system, and this could just keep going and going and going. Um, because definitely those who do get the shots, we're seeing them get it multiple times. Um, we saw some pretty high-profile people like that, like Jen Psaki, um, get it twice. Now, I don't know if it was bad, but uh, again, it's just it's just a little bit bizarre. I know what you're saying, that it, it does seem to be mild with people. It doesn't seem to run a risk of a cytokine storm or thrombosis, but it just is bizarre that this is not going away. Um, well, well, one explanation comes from two papers, one by ADT and the other one by Wheatley in 2021. And the t in the title of the paper is the term immune imprinting. And what this means is you keep taking this shot uh, coding for the original Wuhan spike protein. The body's immune system keeps getting entrained to try to react to that obsolete spike protein. Yep. And so you introduce something very different like Omicron BA5. The immune system has is, is been misdirected this whole time. It's not ready to respond to the new entity. And therefore, they have more problems, greater severity of disease, uh, more recurrent disease, because it's every six months the immune system is being redirected to the to the obsolete uh, extinct Wuhan spike protein. So because the fact that the vaccines have not been updated like a flu shot would be, and they're still giving the same stuff that they gave in December of 2020, uh, it's really turning out to be a disaster. And Vanderbosch so far has not been wrong on any of these predictions. Yeah, I mean, th this is what really scares me. And then they get to benefit from their breach of science and say, look, it's so terrible. You got to have some more, you guessed it, vaccine mandates. And it's a vicious, vicious cycle. It's going to take courage to break it. So again, um, the courage to face COVID-19, Dr. Peter McCullough and John Leake. Um, you can get it on Amazon before it's taken down. Hopefully it won't be. Um, the McCullough Report on iTunes. And you are still on Twitter um, until you're not. So... 
We hope you will be our remaining ambassador there as well. Thanks so much for giving us this full presentation, and we really look forward to hearing from you again. Thanks for having me on the show. Take care. So there you have it, folks. A lot of information. As you can see, Dr. McCullough is a machine. He'll like rip out the studies from you know left field. Um, and that's why none of these people ever want to debate him because they can't. Because from day one, there was only one side and led by Dr. McCullough doing the science. Um, the, the one point I, I challenge him a little bit on and I still feel strongly about is I, I do believe COVID is not an aberration. It is a paradigm shift. And that we're seeing the problems with care with other things as well. And again, COVID's not over. They're going to continue with this with the viral immune escape. You, you're going to have the other gain of function stuff. And then again, you know, there's there's just other there's other crises that they're going to do. You see it with the Dutch farmers. You see it in Sri Lanka with the financial collapse. They're going to take any crisis to do lockdowns, shutdowns, violation of human rights, limit of, limitation of life, liberty, property. This is the new paradigm. Once you cede that power, they're never going to get it back. So um, didn't get a chance to get to the other stuff today, but I thought it was worth it to, to hear from him again. Make sure you pick up his book. Um, look, I'm now off of Twitter, even from the fan account. They found it, zapped it. So I'm completely off. Daniel underscore Hurwitz on Getter is where you find me. Um, you'll always find my articles at The Blaze or Conservative Review if you just Google my name with one of those other two or duck, duck, doe, preferably you'll find me, um, you know, but it's tough. I mean, because obviously I, I can't be on Facebook. I can't be on Twitter. Neither could the blaze really promote me much on Twitter or the Bla or Facebook either. Cause you know, they'll get banned. Um, and then none of my COVID articles really could go up at the blaze. They go up at conservative review. So that that's why it makes this show all the more important. You're always going to find me here every day. Um, you could always email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. I do have a Telegram channel at COVID Truth Bombs. Still trying to figure out where I'm going to land, you know, where I'm going to head with this. Um, look, that's the price to be paid, but someone like Dr. McCullough has paid a bigger price, losing all of his professorships, losing all of his titles. Um, I lost a Twitter account, so, you know, big deal. Uh, we got to gotta power on, but that's why it's important that this show... Um, goes goes around everywhere because if it's not this show it's going to be other people uh that are wasting your time and again i don't want to hear about elections and oh you know biden's so bad they have trifecta republican control in all these red states and they won't even protect their own guardsmen from an illogical dangerous inhumane illegal mandate for this outdated dangerous spike protein gene therapy that transcribes in your dna and yet we have nobody nobody helping us so this is where we are we're just getting started feeling a little bit under the weather today but my voice did hold up till tomorrow god bless y'all and thank you for listening